Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Welcome to Medicine on Call, where it's all about living in the solutions. Today I have a very special guest on, Dr. Mark Alford. He's an associate professor in the School of Medicine at West Virginia University. He's also the director of the Clinical and Translational Sciences PhD program in the Robert C. Byrd Health Science Center and serves on the executive committee at WVU Center of Inhalation Toxicology. He received his doctorate of phys- phys- sorry, philosophy uh, degree in physiology from Loma Linda University, Loma Linda, California, in 2000. His postdoctoral training in pulmonary physiology was performed at the School of Medicine Division of Physiology at the University of California, San Diego. Recent efforts in his laboratory have led to projects investigating the acute and chronic consequence of nanoparticle and electronic cigarette vapor on cerebral and cardiovascular health outcomes. He's had work featured in several local and national news reports on all platforms, print, radio, and TV, including CBS and NBC national news reports, and also a one-hour primetime CNBC documentary. And I wanted Dr. Alford to come on so that we can explore the problem of vaping with a more um, with more information and not the the... I guess sometimes it gets a little overblown sometimes or it's more emotional. This is about the facts. So people can really know what the consequences are, what the risks are, what they need to know so they can make a conscious choice about whether or not they want to vape or what their children are doing and you name it. So, Dr. Olford, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Happy uh, happy to be on. Um, I know that you do a lot of work. Just what got you started with um, pulmonary physiology and, you know, toxicology? It's an interesting field. It's actually kind of a specialty, isn't it? Yeah, so I was always interested in the lung. Um, Part of it is because before becoming uh, a scientist and and having a lab, I worked as a respiratory therapist in a hospital with people that were on ventilators. And so even in my, as a basic scientist um, and and a clinical scientist, I've I've been really interested in connecting basic science with with, uh, clinical medicine. And so the, the issues surrounding smoking and, and vape being very much fit in, in that uh, realm. And I really got interested in the e-cigarette side of this about five years ago. Well, students at the uh, university in, in West Virginia did a survey of about uh, 600 to 700 primary care physicians in West Virginia and asked some very simple questions back then. Um, about the perceptions that physicians had towards e-cigarettes. And what struck me uh, as concerning was nearly half of the physicians surveyed felt, and this is five years ago when we knew even less about e-cigarettes than we do now, but nearly half of those physicians um, said they perceived e-cigarettes to be safer than cigarettes, despite the fact that there was minimal evidence to actually show that and that they would tell their patients or recommend to their patients that they should use e-cigarettes over cigarettes. And so that that really uh, struck me as, you know, something that we really need to start addressing and, and generating evidence uh, on e-cigarettes to see if that really is the case. It's amazing how that that 
mindset? I don't even know how it started. Do you think it's uh, the industry and the way they've advertised it as being the alternative, the healthy alternative to, to cigarette smoking? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it comes from the fact that uh, there was very little evidence to the contrary to the marketing and the claims being made by the people selling e-cigarettes and, and, and the proponents for e-cigarettes. And these claims come from some things that seem very uh, natural and, and seem like it might make sense. For example, you know, e-cigarettes are safer than cigarettes because they have a fewer total number of toxicants. This is true. E-cigarettes, we do know, have um, perhaps one-tenth the number of uh, harmful cancer-causing agents that, uh, that cigarettes do. Mm-hmm. Uh, con- misconceptions such as, E-cigarette vapor is water vapor. That's not true. It's it's not water vapor because the solution is actually uh, it's propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin. These are petroleum-based solutions. And so when you say things are water vapor and you say that it has fewer toxins, and the other thing that, about e-cigarettes is you don't produce carbon monoxide like you do with a, a, a cigarette that is burning. So, you know... These ideas, in the absence of any clinical evidence that e-cigarettes do harm, it was easy for tobacco companies and proponents for e-cigarettes to say, hey, these have to be safer than cigarettes. Mm -hmm. It turns out, and we'll we'll talk about this, this isn't actually true. That's amazing. I mean, you just mentioned some of these um, additives like propylene glycol. I mean, I'm sorry, but... Correct me, that, that's not antifreeze, is it? No, that's not antifreeze. Uh, propylene glycol actually is uh, a base solution. So it's not an additive. It's what the liquid that people uh, are vaping. But it's not just propylene glycol. It's a combination of uh, propylene glycol and um, vegetable glycerin or, or, or glycerin. Some combination of, and this is what they call PG, the propylene glycol, and VG, the vegetable glycerin. So some <laughs> combination of VG and PG is what you use in your uh, e-cigarette device. So when you go to a vape shop and, and you get the liquid, you tell the person behind the counter, I want a 50-50 mix or a 25-75 mix. And w- what people use really depends on their personal preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also deals with how how dense and thick of a cloud that you're going to get. Mm-hmm. By the way, if people were vaping water vapor, then what we would see from the that it would be similar to what you see with the steam and, and the vapor that comes off of a boiling pot of water. Mm-hmm. And, and if you compare that to what you see with people vaping um, their electronic cigarettes, these are thick, dense, heavy clouds. They're actually not even vapors. Uh, it's an aerosol because, you know, technically a vapor is the gas phase, which is very difficult to see in, in, in most cases. Um, so these are these are mixed and highly complex aerosols that have particles, and, and all sorts of chemicals that are in them. And, and as I said, it is true that that cloud has a lot fewer uh, cancer-causing and toxic chemicals, that fewer total number of these compared to cigarette smoking. But in toxicology, we also know it's not the number of chemicals that really matter. It's actually the dose or the concentration of the chemicals. Mm-hmm. It only takes one of these to create a problem for an individual. And, and to cause damage. So while it's true that there are a fewer total number of chemicals, 
it doesn't that actually doesn't mean that that vapor and inhaling that vapor is safe uh, you know the other issue with the vg and pg is both of these substances are used in in makeups uh pg is actually used in ketchup to make it thick so we ingest these materials we can you know they're in our food products they're in stuff we put on our skin and for those routes that they're actually uh safe they're approved for those. Mm-hmm. What the FDA has not approved is to take these substances, BG and PG, that base solution of the liquid, and to aerosolize it into a cloud and bring it into your lungs. That's a whole other delivery. And anytime you heat and uh, vaporize something, you're going to break down those uh, that that compound into a base chemical component. And in this case, BG and PG break down into uh, things like formaldehyde acetaldehyde, um, acrolein, uh, acetone. And formaldehyde in particular, you know, is something that we use in when we embalm yeah. um, bodies after people have died, so to fix tissues and, and to preserve tissues. And we know that this is uh, car- a carcinogenic agent, and it's, it's not good to bring in formaldehyde fumes. People that work with formaldehyde work, work with them in hoods and in special ventilated places where they don't breathe the fumes because... They're not healthy. Man. I mean, how does that even not get studied and get on the market knowing that, you know, let's take a break because I'm curious to know, is there, who's who's overseeing the safety of things? It's, it's the FDA usually, isn't it? It is, but you, e-cigarettes are in this strange place of um, initially when, when they first came on the market, of being able to um, skirt around the rules that we had at the time uh, of not being a tobacco product because there actually is no tobacco. Even if you use tobacco flavor, Mm -hmm. tobacco flavors are just chemicals. There was no actual tobacco in the device. In fact, the World Health Organization referred to e-cigarettes as electronic uh, nicotine delivery system, ENDS system, because, I mean, technically they're not even a cigarette. Uh, the tobacco company would like to perhaps not even call these cigarettes because people know that cigarettes are bad. So yeah. even to call it an electronic cigarette, you know, would clue some people in that maybe this isn't a good thing. But the, uh, you know, the propagation of, as I said, the fact that there's fewer toxins, um, as well as actual good clinical and scientific evidence that the potential risk for cancer and the inflammation in the lung are is less with e-cigarettes compared to cigarettes. These, you know, these things have been reported and sort of fit the idea that you might be better using an e-cigarette than a cigarette. The problem with that notion is it only looks at one organ system and and it, it looks at a very narrow perspective of what we there are many other things that we know that smoking does to the body, and in this case that e-cigarettes could do but haven't been well studied yet, uh, that, you know, are, are that e-cigarettes are likely to create harm in a different way than cigarettes are. So to only make the comparisons for e-cigarettes to cigarettes on a lung perspective is narrowly focusing the question and, and, and the idea that might, uh, in the end, prove 
uh, very, very wrong uh, from a health perspective to an individual. Well, on that note, let's take our first break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. From treatment of sinusitis with balloon dilation to minimally invasive office procedures to correct snoring, Peachtree ENT Center offers state-of-the-art care. We also specialize in price transparency. You'll know the cost of our ENT services before they're rendered, whether you have a high deductible plan or no insurance at all. Make an appointment today to find out why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. Welcome back to Medicine Call. We're speaking with Professor Olford. Um, he's an associate professor in the School of Medicine at West Virginia University. He's also the current chair of the American Physiological Society. Um, genomic group and counselor to cardiovascular toxicology specialty section in the Society of Toxicology. And before the break, you were really breaking down, I think, some really frightening things that people actually don't know about. And, you know, as physicians, we really do need to take a little bit more responsibility as to what we're, you know, counseling our patients that are safe. It's our responsibility to look into the nitty-gritty of these things I mean, the fact that it's a nicotine delivery system in itself, to me, is kind of questionable. So nicotine is not exactly the safest product out there. Just because it's not, you know, a a tobacco product, the nicotine itself, isn't that something that is an issue for physiology in the body? So nicotine certainly has uh, effects and physiologic effects on the body. And this is one of those areas where it's, it's a it's a little bit of a gray area because at least from a a cardiovascular perspective, uh, long term nicotine use if solely from you know direct routes of nicotine if it doesn't come with cigarette smoke or with, with some other vehicle or, or delivery mechanism, uh, ha- in in large scale epidemiologic studies have shown that it's not an actual risk factor for uh, cardiovascular disease uh, outcomes. Mm. Now, having said that, most of those studies have not really evaluated nicotine uh, via inhalation. Those have all been through the use of um, what we call nicotine replacement therapies, like the patch, gum, and medication. And so that's actually important information because when people try and quit smoking, these nicotine, these nicotine replacement therapies, the, the NRTs, are, you know, are a safe and um, effective means to help people quit smoking. And so one of the, one of the concerns with, uh, so benefit or concern really depends on who you're talking to. The pro e-cigarette side would say that e-cigarettes help people quit smoking. Uh, but when you look at the behavioral studies and, and data that are out there, there are as many studies that say that uh, people just end up dual using e-cigarettes with cigarettes and never really end up quitting as, as studies that say it may be a potential benefit for smoking cessation. So 
really, you know, and, and if you look at meta-analyses, which are, which is a study that looks at the studies that are published, so it's a study of the studies, uh, the, the net result of most of those suggests that e-cigarettes are not any more beneficial uh, to helping people quit than the standard nicotine replacement therapies. Mm-hmm. And, and the key point to remember there is the, the nicotine replacement therapies we have that are medically approved uh, from these epidemiologic studies do not have the same risk for cardiovascular disease. Whereas when you inhale nicotine, and, and the evidence that we're finding through e-cigarettes is that the body actually can't distinguish or tell the difference whether you're inhaling cigarette smoke or e-cigarette with nicotine or e-cigarette um, uh, aerosol without nicotine. The body's acute responses, the vessel's responses to any of these exposures in the animal studies we've done, we see we can't distinguish those responses are exactly the same. So from from the the blood vessel perspective of all this, uh, there is no difference whether you're smoking or whether you're vaping with or without nicotine. So the nicotine question is is probably a secondary one in this. It's an important one because it's the addictive component to the behavior. It's the thing that that will prevent people from being able to stop vaping or smoking. Um, because it is so addictive, but from a harm perspective, uh, that's that's less of a concern. Okay. Well, from the flip side of it, with the the ingredients, you know, the the, the byproducts of the actual smoke, you know, I remember from you know anatomy and physiology, the lung does not take kindly to you know things that are not, that are fat soluble or oily based. Is that an issue? also to be considered with the ingredients that break down in the vaping? So, you know, that's that's an interesting question, and, that, and, and, and I think, you know, it's a very relevant question for what we've seen in the news um, from late summer and in these last few months where we've had these acute hospitalizations. Uh, now it's, I think, over 2,000 individuals with vaping-related um, hospitalizations and, and many of these people being on ventilators, um, in some cases having reports of a lipoid-like pneumonia, mm-hmm. um, but acute respiratory distress. Now, all those cases, or not all of them, but um, according to the CDC, 79 to 80% of those cases seem to be linked with uh, THC, uh, CBD oil, or vitamin E acetate. And you're correct. The uh, the, this, the vitamin E acetate, Acetate in particular is an insoluble um, liquid. So those that seems that's a I don't want to say unique scenario, but that's a different scenario than perhaps the person that who who is using their e-cigarette and liquid where they're buying it, you know, from the standard manu- manufacturing processes. Most of the cases that involve the, the THC and the CBD oil. Uh, are are not from reputable um, manufacturers. These are sort of homegrown, homemade um, uh, e-liquid. In many cases, since marijuana is not legal in in a lot of states, in many cases, you know, they're they're being made in people's garages and sold out of people's trunks and cars, and and that's created a situation where because e-cigarettes are so modifiable and so adaptable that you can almost literally put anything in in these things. We had 
just two weeks ago, we had an unfortunate um, case here in, in Morgantown, West Virginia, where two high school students thought they were getting e-liquid with marijuana. It ended, it ended up containing heroin, and uh, these kids unfortunately overdosed on, a, on heroin and ended up in the hospital uh, in respiratory failure because they didn't realize that, that it was containing heroin. And so, you know, the, the modifiable nature of e-cigarettes means that we're going to encounter um, scenarios like that that can create different situations that may not be completely applicable to the standard everyday user who's just using uh, product from reputable manufacturers and manufacturing conditions. And so we've been studying um, the latter, you know, the sort of everyday standard use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, we need to understand what what happens in these acute and and off-label kind of uses. And so, yes, I mean we can create uh, situations with these cigarettes where we have the uh, the lipoid pneumonias. But this is not something that we're seeing in in the standard user. Okay. Uh, what we're actually seeing and what our data is showing is that, uh, and and this is animal data because you know like cigarettes, e-cigarettes will take a decade or two, maybe even three decades before we actually see the long-term effects. So, you know, this is part of the problem with cigarettes and e-cigarettes is when you start using it, you you can't tell that you're doing damage or even harm to your body. But because it has nicotine and because you're not able to quit, once you start, it's very, very hard to quit and, and people will often end up smoking or and in this case what we're talking about is vaping for the for the next 20 25 30 years until they start noticing problems and then they're going to think well and by then you know the major damage has been done now quitting is always good because even with smoking we know that if you extend your life and and you reduce the the further damage that you do but in most cases that damage can't be undone and so quitting at any point, no matter how long you've been smoking or vaping, is always good. Uh, but what we're finding is that in our animal models, where we can vape an animal for six months or eight months, which is the equivalent to about 20 or 25-year exposure in humans, when we do that, we're not finding a lot of lung pathology, but we're finding significant cardiovascular problems. Uh, an important one is that the blood vessels, of these animals are two to three times stiffer compared to an air-exposed animal or non-e-cigarette or cigarette exposure. And and the key message that we actually see here is that this two to two to three-fold increase in uh, arterial stiffness is essentially the same between whether the animals were vaped or whether. The, so again, it brings me back to uh, what I said earlier, and that is the body can't tell the difference between e-cigarette vapor or cigarette smoke uh, when it comes to the perspective of the blood, the vascular system and the blood vessel responses. Let me stop you there. Yeah. Let me stop you there. Let's take our next break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report. 
bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Chalady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got the Badger who writes the hot topics in the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to thebubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at bubba at thebubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bub at thebubbashow.org to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, thebubbashow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Olford. And before the break, you were starting to really tease out the fact that, as you said, the body can't tell. It's the same physiological damage to the cardiovascular system. So basically, you're saying, I think, coronary artery disease, um, uh, atherosclerosis, those things don't change. So you're not helping yourself by vaping. Is that is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, so... Right now, with the data that we have, again, it's, it's animal data, but uh, what, what I'll say about animal data is when you look at the effects of smoking in animal data and compare that to what actually happens in humans, there's there's very, you know, many, many studies, hundreds of studies that have done this over the past 40 years um, that show great correlation between what happens, what happens in animals also ha um, happens in humans. So while an animal study can never sort of directly uh, show exactly what's going to happen to humans, it is uh, it, it, it predicts very well. And so when we look at the vaping studies, we need to, you know, look at those and take them seriously in terms of what vaping is going to do to animals is like what we saw with cigarettes. But again, back to the point, our animals can't tell the difference or we can't tell the difference when we look at their disease state uh, or their vessel function. Uh, whether that animal has been smoking a cigarette or whether it's been vaping. So from the blood vessel side, uh, the, the damage and the impairment is the same. The other uh, feature that we see in, in these animals is the ability of those blood vessels to uh, dilate, to open up, or to constrict is significantly changed. So in, in terms of constriction, your body needs to control where it sends blood flow, and so it has control of blood vessels to either... Uh, close down vessels when it needs to or open up vessels. And for the e-cigarette and the cigarette animals, um, there's a hyper-constrictory response, which means that when uh, when we give the, the blood vessels a, uh, a chemical that's, that's going to cause constriction, we see hyper-constriction. We see greater constriction than we should. And when we give the animals who have been va uh, vaping or uh, smoking uh, drugs that cause blood vessels to open up, to dilate, we see that there's an impairment in dilation. So when a vessel should open up to, let's say, 10 millimeters, it only opens up to 6 or 7. There's about a 25% impairment uh, of the ability to send blood flow. And, and this is actually really important because for if you have any life event that occurs, if you're in a hot situation and, and your brain needs more blood flow, your heart needs more blood flow, and your blood vessels are 
impaired in their ability to respond to the demand that's created by the body, this is how how you end up with an, with an MI. This is how you end up with a stroke mm-hmm. um, and and other vascular conditions. So you know it may not even be that e-cigarettes cause an MI or cause um, a stroke, but what they do is they put the vascular system in a compromised and and they put a burden on the cardiovascular system so that when the system needs to respond to um, a threat or a stress, the ability for the body to do that is going to be compromised. And this is where I think the real concern is because it's not just that you're vaping, it's that we all have other lifestyle risk factors that lead to cardiovascular disease, whether we exercise or not, the type of diet that we eat. Some of this could be genetic too. Some mm-hmm. people are simply born with cardiovascular risk factors. And when you throw vaping on top of that, you know, this is a person that might then have this, uh, an aneurysm or atherosclerosis or a stroke event occur much earlier in life than if they hadn't been vaping. Now, if you extrapolate this to the age that people are starting, there's been an explosion of teens, hasn't there, vaping. Imagine when they hit to be, they get to be 30 you know, or in their you know, mid-30s, early 40s. This could be a medical catastrophe, couldn't it? Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and, in fact, this is where the real concern is. You know, I, I think um, living in a free society like we do, and, and my goal is not to necessarily abolish e-cigarettes, you know, out of the market. I simply want the the users to have fair notice. Just like we do on cigarettes, we say this product is hazardous to your health. Right now, the only warning that we get on e-cigarettes and the consumers get on e-cigarettes is simply that nicotine is addictive. But we know that e-cigarettes are causing harm. We don't know the full extent of that harm. And people are actually actively being told by Juul, which is why they're actually in so much trouble via the FDA right now, but Mm -hmm. other tobacco and and e-cigarette manufacturers, that e-cigarettes are safer than cigarettes. And we actually don't know that. We can't know that until we have decades of um, exposure to people to see if that's true. The animal data from a vascular perspective is telling us that this is not true. It might be true from a cancer perspective. It might be true, and and I say might with with air quotes because I'm not sure that it will prove in the long run to be true from Mm -hmm. a pulmonary perspective. Mm -hmm. I think the issue with the lung is that it's going to create a different kind of damage, Um, but we do know it's not creating the emphysema or COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease um, that we know that cigarette does. So just because in the lung, the disease process might be different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think people need to be very cautious about taking that as a positive uh, and, and say, you're going to have a different kind of problem in the lung. Well, you know, I'd rather not be one on the receiving end of what that could be down the road because once you have it, this is not reversible. Once you've damaged your, the lung, you know, lining or the parenchyma, the, the small airways, I mean, are we seeing anything, I mean, you mentioned a chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, et cetera. What about asthma? Is that a problem? So, it, I mean, it can be. I haven't seen uh, a lot of research in that regard, but for anybody that has a reactive airway disease, which is essentially what asthma is, when you start bringing in foreign particulate matter, mm-hmm. whether it's from an e-cigarette or cigarette or environmental pollution, um, these things can trigger uh, asthma. So, uh, that's, you know, that population is probably a self-selecting population. If, uh, if someone who has reactive airway disease 
ends, you know, has an asthma attack as, as a result of vaping, they very likely will not vape um, again. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not something that uh, has been that's at the forefront that I've seen in the literature so far. There, there are people, I certainly, uh, doing work on it. But as I said, this is that's going to be a sort of a self-selecting crowd that are going to weed themselves out of this simply because of how it makes them feel um, a, a, as a result of that. But you know, those are the questions. The questions are still largely unknown in that regard. There's so much that we simply don't know. Uh, the the emerging evidence is saying that if we come back to the lung, that the immune function in the lung is impaired with with uh, animals that are vaping and there's even some human data that that support this so that it might be that you don't get the damage to the lung parenchyma like you do with cigarettes but when you get the influenza virus when you get the cold or or if you get an infection or pneumonia your ability to deal with that pneumonia and to survive that pneumonia if you're really young or if you're or if you're old which are the the concern with the flu and in these populations that this is, you know, this is going to create a, a, an additional burden that the body may not be able to appropriately handle. So it's the, it's it's what we call a two-hit model, where vaping is sort of creating a burden on not just the lung, but all the organ systems in the body. And then when those organ systems are stressed or, or uh, influenced by some adverse event that occurs, that's when we're, that's when individuals are more than likely going to start to see uh, problems, but they have no way of knowing how that would be different if they weren't vaping. So again, this this is smoking and e-cigarettes are what we call very insidious. They 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 don't. You can do is you can vape and smoke for a long period of time and you don't feel like anything is happening. But there are molecular and biological changes that are occurring that at some point become irreversible and and long term, and they create chronic problems that individuals would not otherwise have had had they not started vaping. So the teen vaping thing is very concerning because we know that, that young people, teens, are uh, very susceptible to nicotine and nicotine addiction. And so having them start at that early age puts them on this path of, as you said, getting into their 20s and 30s and now facing these uh, these medical issues that they would not and should not have otherwise had to face. Agreed. I mean, with the cost of healthcare right now, I can only imagine <laughs> what the cost of to the you know society in terms of healthcare delivery is going to be down the road. I have another corollary to this question. You know, when you're smoking a cigarette, the secondhand smoke is more toxic in some instances than wow. the actual smoker. That the people who are around it suffer. What happens with the secondhand vaping smoke? Is there any problem with that? So. That's an area that's understudied, but there absolutely are um, individuals that, that are studying that. Um, part of the part of the slowness in people to sort of get to that is because, with the dogma being that e-cigarettes are safe to the user, then why, of course, would anybody be worried about secondhand smoke mm. uh, in in that context? But of course, uh, as, as we're talking about here, e-cigarette aerosol and, and vape is is not safe, and so. More and more labs uh, and, and uh, research projects are starting to, to look at that. And the evidence that I've seen so far with uh, secondhand exposure, which, which essentially amounts to a lower concentration exposure. So 
you know, the one good thing about e-cigarettes compared to a cigarette is with a cigarette, the thing, the cigarette's constantly burning and emitting the smoke that fills, helps fill the room. Mm. With an, with an e-cigarette device, the only, that doesn't happen because the device isn't burning and it only is operated when the, um, person, the user presses the button, inhales the cloud, and then the secondhand smoke is generated by what they exhale. Mm. So there absolutely is secondhand vape. Uh, that uh, particularly if you're in a confined space like a, a vehicle and you have someone vaping in the vehicle um, or if you're in a small office space, uh, the good news about sort of that is most, uh, you know, despite the lack of federal regulations with e-cigarette vapor, most communities, states, and counties have enacted um, local and, and regional restrictions that basically treat electronic cigarettes like cigarettes. So, if you can't smoke, you know, at a bar in a restaurant in your state or your city or your county, then uh, there's a 99% chance that that's applying now. Now um, it's taken time to get to that point that you can't vape there as well. So there is some of that sort of protection so that the people who don't vape aren't subjected to the secondhand smoke. But but absolutely, um, I, the evidence that's emerging is showing that. Uh, the secondhand vape is going to have consequences as well, and and we simply have to do the studies to figure out how severe and and you know what doses and and what responses we get from that. On that, on that note, let's take our last our last break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. You're listening to Medicine on Call, where healthcare, business, and current events connect. You can catch the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and a host of other multimedia platforms. Subscribe and share it with your friends. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. I think we're having a really important conversation, an enlightening one as well, with Dr. Olford, an associate professor in the School of Medicine at West Virginia University. Um, he's also served as a standing member of the Lung Basic Science Review Panel in the American Heart Association and the Musculoskeletal Orthopedic Rehabilitation Research and Development Review Panel for the Veterans Health Administration. You know, I it just strikes me that, you know, the government likes to regulate everything. What's the government stand on this? I mean, I think I've heard something about raising the the age to 18 for vaping. I think that's one of the administration's proposals. But are there hearings on this? Is there some, I mean, the cigarettes aren't allowed to be um, advertised on TV. Certainly the flavored ones, you know, good, you know, that's drawing children in. What's going on with that to try to lower the the outreach, so to speak? So, you know, what happened, e-cigarettes hit the market. They were created um, in the, the modern version. Actually, the first patent for an e-cigarette device, um, which was called a vaporizer, uh, was in 1927. So conceptually and from a um, product point of view, e-cigarettes aren't new. But it, And there have been various sort of patents since then over uh, periods of time for similar types of devices. But it wasn't until 2004 when a Chinese pharmacist actually created the modern e-cigarette device that that it's really taken off. And this was in China. 
and then it hit the uh, European and and American markets in 2006-2007. So as I as we said earlier in the show, um, e-cigarettes hit the market, but they the manufacturers were able to skirt the FDA rules because this really wasn't a cigarette. There was no tobacco in it, and there was no combustion. It was a completely new device. And so they were, for a period of time, um, they were able to get a foothold in the market, sell these with any claims that they wanted uh, until uh, – and, in fact, they were able to do this because they sued the FDA when the FDA tried to regulate these as cigarettes. <laughs> and it took, it took until 2016 – until all the uh, the court cases and the appeals had gone through where the FDA uh, and the final court decision was that electronic cigarettes fall under the purview of of, P- of the FDA regulation and, and that they could be treated as a tobacco product even though it didn't contain any tobacco. So it wasn't until August 8, 2016, that the FDA actually could now could start enacting and, and um, setting forth policies and regulations for this. So literally 10 years from when they hit the market to when um, there could be any regulation from the, from the federal level. And so the one criticism that many of us have about the FDA is they've taken a slow response now into creating some of these policy policies that should be enacted. Cigarette flavors have been banned from cigarettes for a long time because we know that flavors are the thing that, that attract youth mm-hmm. to, uh, to smoking behavior. And so the mere fact that you have all, there's over 7,000 flavors that you can get in your um, e-liquid to vape. And so the fact that kids had access, and, and you know, adults like the flavors too. It's, it's, uh, it, it tastes better than and smells better um, than cigarette smoke. And so this is what's really sort of attracted the youth into this. And this is the thing that should have, um, as soon as we had the capability to, to uh, have regulations, many of us feel should have been banned just like they have been banned from cigarettes because this would help have curbed the rapid growth of, of the youth in, in the nation. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, part of that rule, part of the regulations that did come when uh, the FDA was allowed to regulate e-cigarettes, like in tobacco, is they set the minimum age and, and, and you could enact all those things. Um, but right now, the uh, we're told, at least via the media, I haven't seen any actual Real information coming out of the uh, FDA or CDC, but the uh, Trump administration is suggesting that they're going to put in uh, a flavor ban uh, in place to help curb this. And, you know, that's an important first step. But I think, you know, additional steps need to be this labeling that let consumers know mm-hmm. that this is not a risk-free device. Even though we don't know the full extent of the harm it will cause, we know it will cause harm. So at a minimum, these devices should have these black box labeling or, or box labeling like tobacco cigarettes do that say this product is harmful to your health uh, because even the tobacco companies, they, they use different language. They say this is safer than a cigarette, but none of them are saying that it's absolutely safe. So to say that it's not safe means that it's causing harm. Mm-hmm. And the real question as a society we have to ask ourselves is, is that acceptable? I mean, to say that something is safer than the, than perhaps the, the worst product for human health known in the history of mankind, the cigarette, that you can create a slightly safer version of that, which is still going to cause significant harm to an individual. To, so using the narrative that something is safer, unfortunately, has the effect of making people believe that this product is actually safe. 
And, and I think we need to change that narrative and, and, and ask the question, not are e-cigarettes safer than a cigarette, but how much harm is an e-cigarette actually going to cause? And, you know, I think that changes how we look at this. Mm-hmm. And as I, as we've been talking about over the past uh, half hour or so, when you look at the vascular side of all this, e-cigarettes seem to be absolutely no different than what a cigarette is. So the way that I've been sort of talking about this is saying that we know that cigarettes are a primary lung disease, and we know that there's a secondary cardiovascular component that occurs with cigarettes, harm and damage that occurs. I think e-cigarettes are going to be the opposite paradigm. They're going to be a primary cardiovascular disease, and they're going to create secondary pulmonary complications. So just because they create different kind of harm, um, you know, people need to realize that doesn't make them safer. That just makes them damaging, but just in a different way. Yeah, that it's, I totally agree with you. And it just seems very insidious. You have the advertising campaign, everybody looks healthy and young and happy smoking these things. That's, that's exactly the thing that happened with, uh, you know, the Marlboro Man and the cigarette advertising campaign, making it awesome and trendy. I don't understand how... That at least, you can stop that. You know, you don't have to do anything else, but you can, out, you know, ban cigarette advertising or e-cigarette advertising just like you did with cigarettes. And then that's something as a, as a beginning, you know, towards stopping people thinking that this is okay. I mean, it just yeah, seems like an easy thing F- to do. It is. And the FDA has done that. I mean, in... Because the electronic cigarette now can be regulated like a tobacco product, the bans on advertising and targeting kids and, and these types of things are are in place. Uh, but they've had a they've had a ten year head start. Yeah. And it's it's very hard to sort of break that narrative of um, the the you know that e-cigarettes are safer than a cigarette. Even even if an e-cigarette was safer than uh, than a cigarette. That misses the whole point that it still causes harm. It is not, it's not going to be harm free. And so, um, from a, you know, the smoking cessation angle in this is, is one area that tobacco companies and the proponents are saying, we're, we're, you're taking away by, if you ban e-cigarettes or if you tell people not to use them, that you're taking away an important arsenal for, to help people quit smoking. And there's a couple of problems with that ar- argument. First of all, there are more users under the age of 25 that are using e-cigarettes than there are over 25. And the people that are under 25 are using it because they want to use it. It's got flavors. It, it, they're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So they're not trying to quit. So th- it's a very small population that is actually trying to use e-cigarettes to actually quit. And then the second problem with that argument is that when you, as we mentioned this earlier in the show, when you really look at the success rates and the ability of e-cigarettes to um, actually help people quit smoking, you find that a vast majority of people end up dual using. They end up uh, using, even if they end up switching to e-cigarettes altogether and never smoking a cigarette, our data is showing that that's not stopping or preventing the vascular harm that they're going to develop. So they're still using a product that's going to create uh, and, and damage vessels. Uh, their blood vessels and, and their health and cause an early demise more than likely. Uh, but 
in many cases, they're not even quitting smoking altogether. They, they end up dual using or having some combination of both. So the, the argument for e-cigarettes as a smoking cessation tool uh, is, is simply not when, when you look objectively at all the data and not just the studies that, that say, hey, this is something that works uh, for, for people. Undoubtedly, there's going to be individuals out there who say, you know, e-cigarettes saved my life and they helped me quit, and and that's great. But there are also people who quit smoking cold turkey without any hmm. uh, help or support, and and most of us would recognize and realize that's a rare person, right? It's, yeah. Most people are not able to quit smoking cold turkey and just decide they're not going to never smoke a cigarette. There are those people out there, too. So to say that people have to have, uh, you know, e-cigarette as an option sort of defies the uh, common sense when you actually start looking at the data and see what's working with, with uh, the smoking cessation tools that are currently available out there. Well, you know, this hour goes so quickly. I want to thank you so much for coming on. I think you've made an excellent case for people being a lot more vigilant about what they put in their bodies. And just because it's less safe doesn't mean it's actually safe. And people need to take responsibility for what they're choosing to do, not listen to the rhetoric and the advertising campaigns. In the minute that we ha- seconds that we have, how can people read your or do you have a blog? Do you have something that people can go to to learn more about what you're doing? Uh, we, we don't have a blog, um, but there are numerous um, organizations uh, that are out there. One that uh, I have been trying to help uh, promote uh, is run by Tom um, Popescu. It's called the Electronic Nicotine Organization, and it's, uh, it's at Enough Nick, N-I-C. And, you know, this is, this is a platform that is trying to use and, and get the attention of our kids, um, and people that are vaping to say, you know, enough with nicotine. Nicotine is addictive, and it, it is the problem in this in that it's going to prevent you from being able to quit. And the, the, while it may not be causing the actual disease, the, the underlying um, behavioral and psychological component here is, is that nicotine is going to create a problem uh, and prevent you from quitting. So... You know, follow these at, at enough Nick, and um, really sort of look deeper into the information that, that's coming out. We're publishing our work in medical journals, and um, some of our information and, and data are getting out, as you mentioned early on, through news reports, uh, TV, print, and, and radio shows like yours. And we simply just want people to realize that um, vaping is not uh, harm-free. It's going to come with consequences. And to think that you're only vaping water vapor is um, a complete uh, misconception. Well, Dr. Olford, thank you again for your time. I really enjoyed our show. I look forward to having you come back when you find all the new things that you find out about the risks and, and benefits of it. Well, there is no benefits really, but the risks of it. I'd be happy to have you back on to speak about it. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, Take care. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. 
Liberty Talk FM.